This morning we want to talk about the pinnacle of purity. And really in doing that, we're going to talk about how we as disciples of Jesus are called to pursue the holiness of God and really what that looks like. And so, you know, one of the hardest questions I think to to answer, uh, at least when you're a kid, is what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? Now, this question assumes that you actually want to grow up, right? There's some of you say, I'm not grown up yet. I'm 85 years old and I'm still not a grown up, right? But when I was a kid, I mean, that was pretty easy to answer. Like you would ask that to kids in my class and all the little girls would say, well, I want to be a teacher. And we're like, you're such a kiss up, right? All the boys, we wanted to be policemen, firefighters, or astronauts, Right? We wanted to do like really cool, fun, dangerous things. You ask a kid today, like I asked, you know, Zoe, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or, you know, she told me, well, I want to be a teacher, a doctor. I said, well, what about other kids in your class? Like we have a nephew who's just a year younger than Zoe. He's nine. I asked him, I said, uh, Creed, what do you want to be when you grow up? He says, I want to be a YouTuber. You really think about it, like, you know, that's not a bad gig if you can get it, get a million subscribers, and now YouTube pays you to make videos. I mean, it's great, right? But, but as we get older, that question changes, doesn't it? Like, there's some of you that, you know, some of our high school students, uh, some of you are, you know, you're, you're facing that question. What are you going to do when you get out of school, right? And some of your college students, you're getting closer to graduation, you know, the question is, what are you going to do when you get out of school? And, and if you're in high school, you know, as a parent, you're going, I'm hoping they say go to college or at least be gainfully employed. Like, we're, we're walking through that right now. My son Hudson's a junior in high school, and he gets asked that question four or five times a week. You know, I feel bad for him. Like, just there's other things going on in his life. Ask about that, right? You know, and, and so, you know, if you're a college graduate, you're fixing to get your master's, you're, you're answering that question, well, I'm hoping to get a job, right? Your parents are hoping the same thing too, by the way, okay? And so as you, you get out and, and you get into life and, and you've, you've gone and you've worked a, a good career, you're getting close to this beautiful thing that I hear, at least, they call retirement. And so the question then becomes, like, what are you going to do when you retire, and some of you are like, well, I'm going to travel. Like, I've never had time to travel. I'm gonna, we're going to travel, or I'm going to go spend time with my grandkids. I asked somebody a couple weeks ago, I was like, hey, you're getting close to retirement. What are you going to do? I'm going to do whatever I want to do for a change. Right? But it just seems with this series of questions that there's always something more to our life, and it, and it, and it seems or it implies that there seems to be something missing from my life, that maybe in the next phase of life, I will finally attain this thing that I'm longing for. We, can, we seem to be continually pursuing something that we never seem to be able to catch. You see, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to pursue Jesus. Now, the great thing is that Jesus is not elusive. In fact, Jesus is not running away from us. Jesus is actually running toward us. And so as disciples of Jesus, we are called to pursue Christ. And, and that pursuit of Jesus, this is, listen, this is the highest pursuit that you can pursue in all of your life. This is the most rewarding pursuit that you will ever endeavor into. This is, this is the most worthy thing that you can commit your life to, this pursuit of Jesus. But understand something, that if we are going to pursue Jesus, we have to do so from a pure heart. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, in all of our searching, we are not going to find what we truly desire, what we truly long for, what we truly need, if our hearts remain impure. 
And so let's look again into the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. We're going to look specifically at verse 8 this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But we want to read through all the Beatitudes again, just so we're familiar with where we have been and kind of get an idea of where we are going. So let me invite you to stand this morning in honor of the reading of God's word together. And Matthew records for us, so seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you also. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, you desire a pure heart from your people. Father, even even beginning to think about that makes us a little bit uneasy this morning because we know us and you know us. Lord, you know the things about us that no one else knows. Lord, you know the condition of our heart. You know the condition of our mind. You know the condition of who we are when no one else is around. And, And yet, Lord, you do not relax your expectation for your people to be pure to be holy, to be righteous. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you give us an understanding what what these words mean, what it means to be pure, and what, what it means to have a pure heart, and what it means to really see you, and what it means to be holy, and, and where all of these things come from. And so, God, we, in this moment, we surrender ourselves and submit ourselves to the authority of your word and the authority of your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives today. And God, very simply, we, we humble ourselves and say, Lord, teach us. We, we long to know what you desire to to do in our life. We desire to align ourselves with you. And so, Father, where we're falling short, not only just point those things out to us, but give us the courage to own that and to bring that to you and, and to, to begin a new way of living and doing things. And Lord, some of that stuff is really deeply rooted. And so, Lord, we, we give you permission today to point, not only point it out, but root it out of our lives. And so, God, as we sit before your word, as we sit under your Holy Spirit today, we pray that you would teach us. And God, give us the courage to live out the things that we are learning. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Y'all can be seated. And um, so as you are, just really simply this morning, we're going to talk about, there's three key words in verse 8. The word pure, the word heart, and the word see. We're going to look at each one of those today. I want to begin with this idea of purity because uh, purity simply is a pursuit of holiness. Purity is a pursuit of holiness. That word pure just means clean. It means morally clean or morally pure, innocent or, or guiltless. And so when we look at something that is pure, we are looking at something that is real and we are looking at something that is authentic and we are looking at something that is true. All right. And so when we look at purity in the Old Testament, they would achieve purity through sacrifice and through ritual washings. Okay. So there would be sacrifices that would be brought on behalf of the people to the temple, and they would be then, you know, declared 
pure or forgiven. And then there were ceremonial washings that would happen. If you would go into temple to worship, then you would wash your hands and you would wash your face and wash your feet. And there were different things that you would do so that you would remain ceremonially clean so that you could then go into worship of the Lord in the temple or the synagogue. When we come into the New Testament, there's a new standard that is established, right? Uh, Jesus on the cross sheds his blood and that we are washed as believers in the blood of Christ. So no longer do we have to continue going through this ceremony or this process, but as Hebrews teaches us that Jesus died once for the sins of all. And so as we are washed in the blood of Christ and as our sin is forgiven and removed from us, now we are pure in the sight of the Lord. And so the Bible talks a lot about purity. In in Psalm 24, verses three and four, it asks this question, who may ascend the holy hill of God? And then in verse four, it answers it. He who has clean hands, so who is ceremonially clean on the outside and a pure heart who has not cast himself before the worship of another. And so we see not only ceremonially clean, but most especially with a heart that has been purified by Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy 2.22, we referenced this verse a couple of weeks ago, but Paul exhorts us to pursue or to go after righteousness and faith and peace and love, and we do so from a pure heart. So what Paul is teaching us is that unless our heart is pure, we will not pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, etc. 1 Peter 1.22 says that we are purified by obedience. So we are purified by obedience founded upon our love for God and our love for one another. And so what, what Peter is teaching us is that our purity in Jesus Christ is what leads us to be obedient to God. Our obedience is not an obligation to God. We don't do it because like, oh, I have to do this. We obey God because he loves us and we love him in return. And so we find our obedience to be a joy. We find our obedience to God to be a pleasure. We find it to be life-giving. And so listen, if you are going to pursue Jesus with everything that is within you, here's what that means. It means that you will also pursue purity. Or to put it another way, you will also pursue holiness. And if you are going to pursue purity or you're going to pursue holiness, here's what it means. It means that you will pursue Jesus. We cannot pursue purity. We cannot pursue uh, holiness without pursuing Jesus. And so the the thing is, is that, that only Jesus can make you pure. Only Jesus can make you holy. Right, so uh, I, I made a confession to some of the guys on our staff the other day uh, that I have found myself watching more YouTube than actual TV. Okay, some of you may not be surprised by that. Good, that's not normal. <laughs> some of that, like this section right here, they're like TV. What's that? Right? Okay, but. There are, some, there are some videos that I've watched that are just, just extremely satisfying. And so one of the things that I watch that is extremely satisfying is I watch guys who detail cars. All right? So they, don't laugh. <laughs> and, and so they go find like the dirtiest, nastiest car. And then they just, like in a 15 or 20 minute video, they just detail these car with a power washer and they put a, f- a foam gun on it and it puts all foam and stuff. And, and I mean, wash it and wax it and they vacuum it out and shampoo the carpet. And it's just so satisfying because you're like, man, that looks really good. Now, if the, I mean, you see the before and the after, right? 
Now, how many followers do you think this guy would have if he took an already dirty car and he just began to throw more mud on it and wipe it down with mud? That's, that's kind of the opposite effect, right? But when we try to make ourselves holy, that's exactly what we do. Is that, that, I mean, Isaiah tells us that our righteousness, our holiness is like filthy rags. And so it's like trying to wash your car with mud. The more that you do it, the dirtier that it gets. That's why we see that only Jesus can purify us. Only Jesus can make us holy because he's really the only one who can wash us inside and out. Even as we try to do it uh, as best as we possibly can. And so as we begin to acknowledge purity in the life of a disciple, here's what we're doing. We are also acknowledging the need for holiness in the life of a disciple. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. He says that we cannot see the Lord apart from holiness. Why is that? Because God is absolutely holy. And the only way that I can see God is if I have been made holy by a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.22 says that my heart has been sprinkled clean. It has been made pure through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this idea of holiness, we always think about it in terms of purity, right? Cleanness. But really when we talk about holiness, it's a whole uh, additional uh, step, if you will. So it's not just being clean before God, but it's purposefully setting yourself apart for God's use and service. I'm not going to be soiled or stained in the pursuit of the things of this world. Now, here's the thing. We, you and I, cannot make ourselves holy. We cannot make ourselves holy. We are only made holy by our faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason that is is because something that is unholy, that's you and I, cannot make ourselves holy because we don't have the ability to do that, right? Unholiness does not breed holiness. Holiness breeds holiness. And so if we desire to be set apart and purified for God's use and God's purpose, that means I've got to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. You see, a pure heart is a heart that desires holiness. I desire the things of God. I'm not going to settle any longer for the soiled things of this world. A a pure heart has a single-minded focus. Look, when we look at the life of Jesus, his life had a single-minded focus on the will of his heavenly Father. In fact, if you read through the gospel, I think it's the gospel of Luke, around Luke chapter 9, somewhere in there, there's a change, there's a definitive change that happens in the life of Jesus. It says, and he set his face toward Jerusalem. And from that point forward, he was making his way to the cross and there was nothing that was going to deter him. Listen, in the life of a disciple, you and I as followers of Jesus who are learning from Jesus to live and love like Jesus, we've got to set our face not to Jerusalem, but to the kingdom of heaven, all right? And the reason that is, is because as this verse tells us, we want to see God. But more than that, we don't want anything to deter us and get us out of the way uh, that, that God is leading us. And so that means that we have a steady direction in the soul of our life that is always moving us toward God. And what that looks like for us is simply this, that a pure heart, a heart that has been made holy by Christ Jesus, gives undivided obedience toward the Lord, not out of obligation, but out of our love for him. So what we see is that purity brings us a freedom from the distractions 
of this world. We're pretty distracted most of the time, aren't we? I've turned off most of the notifications on my phone because, I mean, it was just constantly buzzing or dinging or ringing or whatever. I couldn't get anything done because, you know, I would, it's just a fear of missing out, right? It would ding and I was like, what did I miss? Oh, nothing. You know, and I work along, it, it would vibrate. And I, oh, what did I miss? Oh, nothing. I didn't miss anything. It's full of distractions. And I think a lot of times that happens in us spiritually. We have so much clutter in our life. There are so many distractions for us spiritually that every time we get some kind of notification, it takes our eyes off of God and it puts it on something that is lesser. And so when we pursue God with a purified heart, here's what we find, that there is freedom in following Christ and we, are, we, we no longer bear the weight of this world. Man, the pursuit of Jesus and a purified heart brings us into, into a focus on the things that are most important. But what we've got to understand more than anything simply is just this. Purity comes as the result of ongoing confession and repentance. All right? and, and so that may not be something that you signed up to hear this morning, uh, but it's just necessary. We've got to talk about this because the, the key word in that phrase is ongoing. Like we're fine with confession and repentance and say, yeah, that's something that I've done. But as disciples of Jesus who are desiring pure hearts, it has to be something that we are doing. Not just that we have done, but something that we are actively doing. And so this idea is simply this, that we're allowing God to inspect our life. We're giving him access to every part of our life. And as he shows us some things, as he points things out, it causes us then to examine those things. So it's, there's an aspect of investigation and there's a part of examination. God investigates, we examine. We, we see this, God points things out. We, we come to a point of confession. And here's what confession is, right? It's not a thing that you go to in a little room with some guy behind the sliding screen. It's not that. Confession is simply this. Confession is agreeing with God. And so when God points something out in your life that does not align with him, that's not the point that we plead our case and go, oh, well, that's not really that big of a deal. When God points something out in our life that, that that is misaligned with his will and his purpose, our role as a disciple is to agree with that and say, yes, Lord, I see that. And I agree that that is something that is derailing me. And then what follows that is repentance. And here's what repentance is. It is aligning yourself with God. So confession is agreement, repentance is aligning, okay? And so this is something that we must continually do. Listen, confession and repentance is something that I have to do daily, like multiple times through the day. I mean, I'm looking here, it's 10 minutes until 12, and God and I are gonna have a come to Jesus meeting after church today because there's already some things that I've gotta confess, there's some things I've gotta repent from. It's a daily process that we go through. Okay, and so confession is agreement, uh, repentance is alignment, all right? And so the expectation for us as disciples is once our hearts have been purified by Christ, is simply this, that we will pursue a life of purity with Jesus. That means I'm gonna continue the practice of confession and repentance, of agreement and alignment so that I can continue to walk in the purity of Jesus Christ. All right. Second thing we want to talk about this morning is simply this, is that a pure heart leads to pure habits. A pure heart leads to pure habits. And so think about this with me. The heart is central to who you are. It's central to your person. 
All right, and so last week after our early worship service, I had opportunity just to visit with Judy Bratcher. Many of you know Judy and Joel, and, and uh, she said, as you were reading, as you were preaching this morning, I was, my mind was drawn to a guy named Bob Utley. Now, some of you have no idea who Bob Utley is. Uh, Bob Utley is a, is a Bible scholar and professor from West Texas, and he's one of these guys that can take the very high truths of Scripture and put them down here on the, on the shelf where all of us can reach them and enjoy them, okay? And, and she said, uh, so in, in saying that, I was like, oh man, I completely forgot about, you know, Bob Utley and how great his stuff is. And so he, as I'm reading what he writes about this, he says this, that the heart is central to the person. So think about the truth. Physically, where's your heart located? In the center of your person, right? It's in the, it's in the center of who you are. Spiritually, your heart is central to your relationship with God because God knows your heart. Okay, think about this uh, mentally, because a lot of times we think that the heart and the mind are separated, but in the context of the New Testament was written in, the mind and the heart, or the mind and the heart were connected. They were the same thing. And so how we think is a reflection of our heart. Think about the emotions. A lot of times we, we tie emotions to our heart. You know, we get all the feels, we get them right here. So it really is a picture of the whole person, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And so all of life is held in the heart. And so what's interesting, when you look at the Greek word here, heart, it's heart, but also means mind. It's the Greek word cardia, where we get like cardiology and cardiologists, the same idea there. And so where we read heart, we also need to remind. So here, here's, here's the implication. That a pure that a pure heart also means a pure mind. Think about that for a second. A pure heart also means a pure mind. That means the pure in heart are also the pure in mind. And so listen, if your mind is not pure, then that means that your heart likely is not either. If your mind is not pure, then your heart likely is not either. I love what Proverbs 23, 7 says, and I like the way the New King James renders it. As a man thinks, so he is. Isn't that true? For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so what we find is that the heart is the driving force behind our life. The heart is the driving force behind your life because what is in your life is going to, I mean, what is in your heart is going to come out in your life. Whatever it is in your heart is going to come out in your life. So if a heart is pure, okay, then the mind will be pure. And as the mind is pure, then the actions will be pure as well. So whoever rules your heart is clearly going to be seen through your actions, and so you can say that you're a disciple of Jesus all you want to, but, but when we observe your life, do we find the evidence to back that claim up? It's just simply what we need to ask. So let's just spend some time this morning for just a moment and just talk about the direction of things. Let's just talk about the direction of your thoughts. So I want you to think about the things that you've thought about. I heard this week that we have anywhere between nine and 16,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot. Your mind is constantly working, all right? And, and you think about those thoughts. Where have those thoughts been directed? Have those thoughts really been directed toward yourself? Some of that may be in self-talk. Some of it may be in self-deprivation. Some of it may be in self-affirmation. But I mean, are those thoughts really directed toward self? Or maybe those thoughts are directed toward others, either positively or negatively. 
How many of those thoughts that you have of that nine to 16,000 a day, how many of those are directed toward Christ? So what's the direction of your thoughts? What's the direction of your words? Are, are you, do you use I and me more than any other subject in your language? Are, are, your, are your words selfish? Or, or maybe your words, they're, they're directed toward others, positively or negatively. Okay? But how many of your words are directed toward Christ? And I'm not talking just about in prayer, but I'm talking how much are we speaking about him in our daily conversations? What about our actions? When, what is the direction of our actions? Are our actions really geared more toward ourselves that they're selfish? That we spend our energies trying to get what we want and so we can enjoy this life? Or maybe our actions are, are directed toward others, positively or negatively, right? But how often are our actions directed toward the glory of God for the sake of Jesus Christ? You see, whoever rules your heart is revealed by your actions, And so we see that the heart is central to the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us. And he resides in a heart that is pure. And and he directs a mind that is pure. And he wills a life that is pure. Jesus is the one who purifies us. He's the one who comes in and he cleans up, and he reorders the things of our life. I was driving around town the other day, going somewhere, and and an advertisement came on the radio, but it wasn't like a jingle. It was just the DJ who was talking about a service that he uses uh, here in town, and it was for uh, a home cleaning service, right? He says, man, these people are great. They come in once or twice a month, and my place always looks amazing, right? And you know why a professional cleaner will clean your house better than you do? Because the professional cleaner sees the things that you don't. The professional cleaner will see the dust that's on the lampshade and they will clean that. And they'll find the dust that's on the top of the, of the windowsill and they'll, they'll clean that. They, they clean the things that we have become blind to. Jesus does the same thing. When he comes into our life, he cleans the things that we have become spiritually blind to and he points them out. Hey, there's some dust up here on this windowsill. It's like, oh, Jesus, I didn't think you'd look up there. Oh, he says, I'm looking everywhere. We're going to get you spick and span. We're going to get you clean. And so what that tells us is he wants to purify our heart. He wants to purify our mind. He wants to purify our actions. And so when God gives us his Holy Spirit, it's not just to seal and secure us for eternity, but he gives us the Holy Spirit so that he can guide and direct us from now until then. You see, if your heart and your mind are not pure, I can guarantee you that you're not hearing the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And you know why you're not hearing the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Because there's too much clutter in your life. You see, I think we would agree, yes, I I want Jesus to come in and remove the clutter and, and, and get rid of things so I can hear to him and I can respond to him. But you know why we don't do it? Because we're afraid. We're afraid. We fear that kind of surrender because we would rather meet the expectations of this world than to follow and fulfill the call of God on our life. We'd rather meet the expectations of this world than we would to follow and fulfill God's call on our life. Listen, a pure heart, a pure mind is an obedient heart and an obedient mind that obeys out of love. Last thing I want to share with you this morning is simply this. A pure heart gives clear sight. A pure heart gives gives clear sight. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see 
God. And so the pure in heart are able to see God in all things, right? So good things, man, I see the hand of God. Bad things, I can still see the hand of God. Happy times, I can see the hand of God. Hand of God. Sad times, I can still see the hand of God. Easy times, hard times, we can see the hand of God because we look at things from a, from a heavenly perspective. And so that's, this phrase here, see God, doesn't mean just to see him, but it carries with it an idea of understanding, but even better, we can render this word to pay attention to. So it's not just seeing to acknowledge, it is seeing to pay attention to. And so a pure heart, look, a pure heart leads to a pure mind. A pure mind leads to clear eyes. Now, I don't know about y'all, but this is one of my favorite times of year, okay? It's gotten a little cooler outside, okay? Starting to feel kind of like fall, you know, hopefully it'll stick around. But it's playoff time in Texas, Texas high school football playoffs begin this Friday. Congratulations to both College Station schools for making the playoffs this year in their uh, respective divisions, okay? I love high school football. It's great, man. I mean, just, I love it. Uh, we, go to, we go to most all the games. Our son Graydon's in the band. And so uh, for us as, as a Consol family, we've been able to leave most of the time after halftime because the game is well within hand. Uh, I know some of you share the same affinity for me, uh, with me as Texas high school football. And so you, uh, on more than one occasion, uh, have probably binged watched an entire season of Friday Night Lights, okay? And so if you know the show, Coach Taylor is, is I mean, he's a, he's a phenomenal coach and, and just, I mean, he's just, he's, he's that guy that you want coaching your kid, okay? And, and as coaches do, they have a tendency to, before football games, give an inspirational word, right? And I think what Coach Taylor says applies not just to football, but it applies to the life of a disciple. And here's what he says, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, right? It applies to us too, right? Clear eyes. I want to see the things that, that God is doing. And I do that from a heart that is filled with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And when I put a clear vision of what God is doing with a heart that belongs fully to Jesus, there is nothing that can stand in my way as his disciples. So clear eyes, full hearts, we can't lose. But here's what happens a lot of times. Sin clouds our vision. Man, sin clouds our vision. I think that's why there's so many misconceptions about God today, not just in our world, but man, in our churches. Because we've allowed sin to cloud our, our vision. And so when those impurities have been removed, when we have been, when we have been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ, our heart is pure, our, our mind is pure, and our eyes are pure, we see clearly. I think what needs to happen is we just need a touch from Jesus. There's a story in the New Testament about where Jesus heals a blind man. And it says like something like scales fell from his eyes. Do you remember the story? And I think there are a lot of us that are walking around with scales on our eyes. It's not that we're completely blind. I just can't see clearly. I can't see what God is doing or where he is working. And, and so just very simply, if you want to see God, you must be seeking him. If you want to see God, then you must be seeking him. So seeing God means knowing him intimately. It means pursuing him with everything that is within you. And so when we look at this promise that, that the pure in heart will see God, there is a most definitely a kind of future promise aspect to it. But don't just think that we will see God because God allows us to see his hand and his handiwork in the present time. And so the promise that Jesus gives us is most definitely future, but it is absolutely present as well. And so here's what happens. 
As God begins to reveal his heart to us, he also shapes our heart to be like his. You see, we will see God. There's a day as a believer where we know that we will stand face to face with God. But in the meantime, God allows us to see his hand at work. We, we see the work of God. We see the ways of God. And as we see the work and ways of God, it fans into flame the day and excitement that I will have when I see the face of God. See, we, we've got to long for the face of God long before we long for the hand of God. So when we see God at work, it, it should excite us to the life that we are going to enjoy with the Lord Jesus forevermore. And so this morning, I just, I just want to encourage you and purify your heart. Purify your mind so that this promise will become real to you, that you will see God in the darkest part of your life. God is at work. In the happiest, brightest time of your life, God is at work work, but you've got to be able to see him. And we will not see him so long as our hearts are impure and our minds are impure. And so can I just just say this final thing to you today? Would you live your life in the pursuit of Jesus Christ? Would you live your life in the pursuit of holiness? Would you live your life in the pursuit of a pure heart and a pure mind that sees what God is doing and rejoices in it? And as you rejoice that you are sharing the mighty work of God with those who are around you who are blind. You know the greatest news? Jesus heals the blind. He takes the scales away so that we can clearly see who he is and what he does and where he's going.